0: and here we go um it was truly a masterpiece i don't know about all that Ugh, absolutely the worst movie ever hands down bar none the greatest action spectacular Yep. well uh the other one just stick them up are you asking me i
1: promise i'm not gonna sing this time around
0: Welcome to Don't Be Crazy Podcast, I'm Justin Cavender, and with me as always, Mr. Zachary Rancourt, here we discuss and dissect what makes a film absolutely amazing or just pure rubbish. All that we ask of each other is don't be crazy. Don't be crazy, Zach. He don't give an F about nothing. He doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> always, but uh, I'm crazy today. How are you, crazy man? I am f- Fabulous. I am so over the moon fabulous. (laughs) I've had a lot of ups and downs today, some topsy-turvies. I had a a brief moment of jubilation, and then it quickly dissipated. But there is light at the end of the tunnel. The day is almost over, and I am excited to be chatting with you on this amazing podcast.
1: Hopefully, I can turn that frown
0: upside down. We'll see what happens. No, it's all good, man. I, yeah. I mean, I had a wonderful day. It was very productive. Mm-hmm. But what I thought was one thing ended up being something else. <laughs> oh, like in no. The, in, the, in the true sense of, do you believe in miracles?
1: <laughs> nope.
0: I thought I did, but I don't anymore.
1: From the time I was a whipper to the yeah. time I was a full-grown man. Yeah. Pretty crazy times. Well, hopefully we can have a good conversation. I think it'll be fun. Yeah, I think so, too. I'm ready. Cool. What have you been watching? I actually haven't been really watching much uh, since our last recording. I've been out doing things and uh, all that kind of jazz. But I did find my old Nintendo 64. I had two of them. I'm selling one of them to a friend. So I had to check out and see if they worked. Uh, Both worked. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to play Ocarina of Time. And I continue to play it. And it's amazing. It's so funny. Those games, I'm sure you have them where you haven't played them in, in ages. You pick it up and without skipping a beat, you know exactly what to do exactly you know the machinations of of how to get the big goron sword and everything else and yeah it's uh it's been really nostalgic and fun yeah and then you can be like up left right yeah I know. <laughs> up left right <laughs> A bonus song <laughs> down i know up down right that's what that is up down right up down right it's up left right is it up, uh, no, no. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Left up, right. Left up, right. That Zelda's up, lullaby. Up, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say it's up left right. Up, or, left, up left right. Up left right. Up left right. <laughs> Shit. Now I'm <laughs> second guessing myself. It goes. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Ooh. I still say that Gerudo's Valley. The music there just slaps. It's so cool. It reminds me of Desperado. It's like. <laughs> yeah. Except way better. So. And then Link's got like a guitar case full of guns. Yeah, I know. He's like, I want to play the guitar. <laughs> and he gets
0: shot. Yeah. what would you watch uh i dude so i'm not really a binger as it were but if i had a man of cocaine on my desk <laughs> i would have been rocking rolling out to ozark man i straight up watched season three and season four uh from friday to sunday morning nice uh, 17 hours worth of ozark just to kind of get all caught up since the final 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 arc yeah is in may and I, I, when season three came out, I was like, oh, I'm not in the right headspace for this show right now. So I kind of put it off. And then season four came, just came out. And I'm just like, ah, I'm behind. So uh, Friday, I, I went to town. And I can say that uh, I hate so many of the characters on this show. But you know, I like Marty and I like Ruth. But everyone else, they can just not make it. Yeah. And I'd be okay with that. Especially Wendy. My goodness. Oh. I cannot stand Wendy Bird. She's... <laughs> She is just not she's my a, cup of tea. That she's character, a devil. <laughs> yeah, not a fan. And I, I thought I hated um, uh, Darlene Snell the most, but oh my I, gosh, yeah. that's pretty close. She's she's neck and neck with uh, with one windy bird. And I can I can really hope and pray that I don't ever <laughs> see her again. Now I do know, or at least it felt like the uh, opener to season four pulled a Breaking bat on us, and I feel like we see the end at the beginning. Hmm. And I don't want to get into it because people haven't watched it. But I do think that it sort of planted the seed for for what is to come in the opening, like three minutes of uh, season four.
1: I have not watched season four yet. But yeah, season three, I was just gripped. I'm like, holy shit, I didn't think this show was going to get any better. And it did. And Laura Linney. Yes, she's absolutely incredible as Wendy. And you you hate her so much, but you also I don't know. Laura Linney's incredible. I think she's so good. So, yeah, Ozark is is awesome. I'm glad that you got caught up with it. I am waiting on season 4 just cuz I I don't want to rush it too much, but I feel like I'm going to be left behind if I don't hurry up and get on that bandwagon.
0: Yeah, I, I couldn't wait, so little Henry and I were uh we're plowing through it.
1: Yeah, Henry's going to learn how to launder money pretty soon, so. Yeah, we <laughs> setting up offshore bank accounts for all his crypto. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> exactly. But uh, cool, and then uh, what else? Uh, I, see, I see. You've been playing a video game too.
0: Uh, yeah. Oh, then I watched Twister because after I actually quoted Twister twice last you week, did. so I was like, I was like, shit, now I gotta watch it. He's in so, it for
1: the money, not the not science. The-
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I watched it last night, and uh, it's ridiculous. That movie is so nuts. And I love that movie so much. I know, I know, it's fun. But you know who's in? Did you watch Lost? You weren't really a Lost uh, guy, were you? No, I
1: wasn't, but I probably know the characters.
0: Okay, well, Faraday, who shows up later on in the in the show. He is one of the scientists um, bunch. Uh, he plays Lawrence in uh, Twister. He's one of the the groupies that that chase the tornadoes. Um, his name is Jeremy Davies. But in Lost, he kind of he he's, oh he does like yeah. this furrow of the brow, and he takes like <laughs> ten minutes to say like a four word sentence and he whisper talks, <laughs> and he's like, oh my god. But he that's that's how he acts like from Lost to today. But he hadn't found that that voice yet in Twister. So yeah, for sure. He, some he took an acting class, or he read a book, or he got hit on the head with a flower pot. Something happened to where he acts differently uh, from Lost on because he was definitely not like that in uh, Twister. Mm-hmm. So it is yeah. interesting to see people hone their craft and you know find their. Um, sort of their mark and what makes them unique.
1: Yeah, because absolutely. he was like that and
0: justified as well. But what made me think of Twister was that uh Lois Smith, who is in the movie that we were watching today, she plays uh like that Aunt Meg. Yeah. yeah. In,
1: in Twister. Mock I'm Clement. like, yeah, <laughs> I, like I'm when like, when she, I like when she's like, at whatever. And she's speaking French, but she's not speaking French. She's seen it as an American. <laughs> right. <laughs> I should probably just but, find the line. It's so good. But yeah, yeah.
0: She's like, you tell those up uppity Frenchies I ain't getting a dime or something. Yeah, <laughs> she's so funny. <laughs> yeah, I was like, man, I've seen that lady before. I'm like, and then it took me a second to to figure out that it was. Um, I always play this little game with myself before I look it up. I try really hard. I I, I sort of explore my mind palace and try and figure out who that actor is and mm-hmm. where I've seen them from. Mm-hmm. And, and I pulled it off. Yeah. Otherwise, it's to the internet movie database. There you go. But yeah, exactly. And then I've been playing Elden Ring. Uh, I've only got to play it one time. I've had one session with this game. I've been waiting so long to play it uh, since it was revealed like two years ago. And uh, and hot dog, it came on Thursday, and I didn't get to play it until Sunday night. My mm-hmm. goodness! And yep.
1: uh, had a blast. I've heard it's hard. Uh, my friends who were playing it are like, dude, I'm just getting
0: destroyed. <laughs> so. <laughs> It's definitely different, and you have a mount, so you get to ride around a little horsey. Hmm. Uh, but you can attack from it too, which is really cool. But uh, as a Souls veteran, I feel like I'm doing a pretty decent job. I've still died a couple <laughs> times. Like one guy just fucking annihilated me. I was like, "Oh, wrong way. <laughs> let's, not, let's not do that again. Let's try to yeah. get with uh, without the oops." And um, it was <laughs> fun. Yeah.
1: Next time, without the oops. Yeah. <laughs> All you Independence Day fans.
0: <laughs> yeah. Right on, man. Good to hear. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so uh, are you ready to talk about this week's movie? Hell yeah. All right, so we're going to be doing The French Dispatch from 2021, directed by one Wes Anderson, who you might know from The Royal Tenenbaums, which we've done on this show, uh, The Life Aquatic with Steve, Zou- st- <laughs> with Steve Zissou. Is that how you say it again? I forget. Steve Zissou. Steve Zissou, yeah. That's the underwater that's sound, one with that's the That's how I read. say it, at least. So, Steve Zissou. Yeah, The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. I feel like I said it a different way before. I don't know, <laughs> Zissou? Maybe no, I didn't say Zissou. Oh, uh, Zoltan. It doesn't. It doesn't yeah, <laughs> exactly. Steve Z. Steve Z. Uh, it doesn't matter. And then Moonrise Kingdom and Rushmore. So there you have it. Uh, it was written by Wes Anderson, Roman Coppola, and Hugo Guinness. The cast includes a bit of a who's who. You have Benicio del Toro, Adrian Brody, Tilda Swinton, Leah Sadeau, Francis McDormand, Timothy Chalamet, Lena Kudry, Jeffrey Wright, Matthew Almarick, Steve Park, Bill Murray, Owen Wilson, Bob Balaban, <laughs> Bob <Belvan, laughs> Henry Winkler, Lois Smith, and Tony Revolori. Revolori. <laughs> Ravioli. That's when you, you, you eat it. <laughs> I like it. Uh, critical reception was okay. It's it is certified fresh, but it is only a seventy five percent from the critics and a seventy six from the audience. So I know that these last couple movies we've done, there's been a bit of a disparity between the two. Uh, but this one, they are pretty much right on the money with the seventy five and seventy six respectively. But uh, let's see what the folks have to say. Adam Naiman from Reverse Shot says, The three major episodes in The French Dispatch are roughly equivalent in length, weight, and quality. Although, to be honest, I only really like the first one. So if you haven't seen it, that'll make sense here in a minute. Because it's actually broken down into three separate stories that all get kind of uh, worked into a final issue of the magazine. Uh, then you have Brian Egert from Deep Focus Reviews says beautifully cra- beautifully crafted, but more concerned with style than substance, which I feel like is a is a somewhat uh, recurring theme with critics and Wes Anderson, at least for some folks. They uh, they they hung up on the style and not so much the substance. I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. Uh... I feel like that was all the ones that I wanted to read. Uh, Jeff Nelson from Showbiz Cheat Sheet says, The French Dispatch is Anderson throwing in everything but the kitchen sink in his love letter to journalism. Anderson's quirkiness gets in its own way, resulting in a serious lack of emotional impact. I think that can be a fair criticism to some folks. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then uh, let's find some. Uh, Amy Nicholson from Film Week says, I think it's marvelous from minute to minute. And Sarah Stewart from Book and Film Globe says, if you come to the French Dispatch Loving Anderson, there's much to continue loving here. So there you have it. Um, Let's see here. The budget was $25 million. Opening weekend, it did $1.348. And the United States, of grossed 16 million worldwide. Looking at 45 million dollars, which, to be fair, uh, this movie did be really was released during the pandemic, and <laughs> it was delayed forever because of the pandemic. It didn't really get to do the 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 film uh, what do you circuit. Call? Yeah, it's like the yeah, the festival, cams. the film festival yeah. circuit. Yeah, sorry, long day. Long, I, got long day. I got you. I got you.
1: Yeah. Well, here are some fun facts that will hopefully crack a smile on that face. During the ending credits, some covers of The French Dispatch through its history are shown. They were created by Spanish illustrator Javi uh, Aznarez and were loosely inspired by The New Yorker's covers. And I got that vibe through and through with those. They were beautiful. They reminded me of The New Yorker, which I am a fan of. In casting Timothy Chalamet as Zeffirelli, Wes Anderson told GQ, I never had the inconvenience of ever thinking of anybody else for the role, even for a second. The role was written specifically for him. And I love that Timothy Chalamet there. I bought Dune in 4K for 10 bucks. Yeah, so he's did a, I. He's a dreamboat. I know, Have I you watched it, it yet? Uh, no, but I did put it on my, because I got the new 13 Pro Max. So I just push push play on my phone. You watched it?
0: No, you were well, serious about no, that?
1: Well, so what it did is, I just wanted to see because I was out and about and I wanted to watch it real quick. And the opening thing, it's like, no, 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 when you do it. So my phone volume was up really loud, and I was hanging out with a friend, and she was like, "Holy shit!" It's like, sorry, I just want to see what it looked like. It looks really good on the phone, but I was just messing around. So. <laughs> on my phone, on my phone. Wow, how, how uh, Villeneuve intended it to be.
0: Yeah. So that's funny.
1: Yeah, the animated segments of the French Dispatch were directed by Gwen Germain, who previously worked on Anderson's Isle of Dogs. As a nod to Angel May's comic heritage, the sequences were done entirely by local illustrators. The team comprised uh, a maximum of 15 people using The Adventures of Tintin and Blake and Mortimer as their main inspirations. The process took about seven months to complete. I got the Tintin vibes for sure on that. I really, really enjoyed that. A February 2020 New Yorker piece outlined some of the characters, subjects, and situations depicted in this movie, along with the corresponding New Yorker articles, subjects, and writers that Wes Anderson referenced. These include Arthur Howlitzer Jr., inspired by the New Yorker's founding editor, Harold Ross, Herb Zaint-Sazerac, inspired by writer uh, Joseph Mitchell, and Julian Cadezio, inspired by Lord Duveen, subject of a 1951 six-part New Yorker profile by S.N. Behrman. Robeck or Robuck Wright is inspired by James Baldwin and AJ Liebling, New York New Yorker con, uh, contributors over the years. Oh, Who's so in, he's a twofer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he blended a lot of the people in, and I and when I read that James Baldwin was an inspiration for Wright, I was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense because you see a lot of the way that and Jeffrey Wright's incredible, but the way that he talks compared to how J- James Baldwin talks, um, it was like two at t. I loved it.
0: It was weird seeing Jeffrey Wright without facial hair. <laughs> that was weird. I was well, like, he whoa,
1: didn't he have he didn't have facial hair in one of the ball? Bon- no, he think, had a
0: beard in both, right? Uh, well, he's in all of them, I think. But um, I felt like
1: he was missing a beard in like Casino Royale. Maybe the first one, yeah, Casino yeah. Royale.
0: But either way, it's been a long time to where I'm just <laughs> yeah. like. Whoa, he's, man, <laughs> that he's, guy's on the run. <laughs> he's so good.
1: I, I love Jeffrey, right? He's incredible. Yeah, He's got a good voice. Yeah. Lucinda the voice Cre- of the angel <laughs> for all you angels in the outfields fans. He's the guy with the chin. <laughs> yeah, it's 90 degrees out. Get the get your nacho butt up there. Whatever he says. Yeah, Lucinda Kremitz is inspired by Mavis Gallant, who wrote a two part 1968 piece on the student uprisings in France. The character also shares a last name with Jill Cremens, a photographer whose work has often appeared in The New Yorker and widow of author Kurt Vonnegut Jr. So very, very cool. And then finally, this is Wes Anderson's ninth collaboration with Bill Murray, his eighth collaboration with Owen Wilson, and his seventh collaboration with Jason Schwartzman, plus two shorts. I love the little turkey he draws. (laughs) It's great. All right. Well, here's a synopsis. I'll try to read through this. These are three or technically four different stories. But in the fictional French town of ennui sur blaze uh, author Arthur Howlitzer Jr., the editor of the magazine The French Dispatch, dies suddenly of a heart attack. According to the wishes expressed in his will, publication of the magazine is immediately suspended following one final farewell issue in which four articles are published along with an obituary. The Cyclone Reporter... Herb St. Sazerac delivers a cycling tour of the town of ennui sur blase demonstrating several key areas such as the arcade, La Sans Blague, Café, and a pickpockets alleyway. He compares the past and the present of each place, demonstrating how much and yet how little has changed in Ennui over time. The Concrete Masterpiece. J.K.L. Berenson delivers a lecture at the art gallery of her former employee, Upshur Ma Clampette, in which she details the careers of Moses Rosenthaler, career Moses Rosenthaler, Rosenthaler, a mentally disturbed artist serving a sentence in the Ennui prison for murder, paints an abstract nude portrait of Simone, a prison officer with whom he develops a relationship. Julian Cadasio, an art dealer also serving a sentence for tax evasion, is immediately taken by the painting and buys it despite Rosenthal's protests. Upon his release, Cadazio convinces his family of art exhibitors to put it on display and Rosenthaler soon becomes a sensation in the art world. Privately, Rosenthaler struggles with inspiration and devotes himself to a long-term project. Three years later, Cadazio, his uncles, Clampette, Berenson, and a mob of artists inspired by Rosenthaler, all frustrated at the lack of further paintings, bribed their way into the prison to confront him, only to discover that his masterpiece is in fact a series of frescoes in the concrete prison hall. Angered that the paintings are uh, irremovable from the prison, Cadazio gets into a physical altercation with Rosenthaler, but soon comes to appreciate the paintings for what they are and later arranges for the entire wall to be airlifted out of the prison into a private museum in Kansas owned by Clampett. For his actions in halting a prison riot that breaks out during the reveal of the paintings, Rosenthaler is released on probation. Simone also departs after earning a great sum of money for becoming the inspiration and motivation for Rosenthaler during his incarceration. Simone and Rosenthaler maintain correspondence following his release. Revisions to a manifesto. Lucinda Kremitz reports a student protest breaking out in the streets of ennui that soon boils over into chessboard revolution. While the revolution initially is inspired by petty concerns over access to the girl's dormitory, the traumatic military conscription of one student, Mitch Mitch, inspires greater uprising. Despite her insistence on maintaining journalistic neutrality, Cremens has a brief romance with Zeffirelli, a self-styled leader of the revolt, and secretly helps him write his manifesto and adds an appendix. Juliet, a fellow revolutionary, is unimpressed with his manifesto. After they briefly express their disagreement about its contents, Cremens discovers that Juliet is in fact in fact, infatuated with Zeffirelli and is jealous of her closeness with him. Then tells the two to go make love, which they do. A few weeks later, Zeffirelli dies attempting to repair on the tower of a revolutionary pirate radio station, and soon a photograph of his likeness becomes symbolic of the movement. Five years later, Kremitz translates Mitch Simka's theatrical dramatization of his conscription and Zeffirelli's death for a National Playhouse production of his play at the downstairs Knobloch Theater the private dining room of the police commissioner. During a television interview, Roebuck Wright recounts the story of his attending a private dinner with the uh, commissaire of the Ennui police force prepared by legendary police uh, chef, Lieutenant Nesca- Nescafe. Nescafe <laughs> is a famous... Um, I always thought of the, the coffee. Mm-hmm. N- Nescafe is a famous specialist in the kind of uh, haute cuisine. Hot hot cuisine, specifically designed to be eaten by working police officers. The dinner is disrupted when the commissaire's son, Gigi, is kidnapped and held for ransom by criminals, led by a failed musician labeled the Chauffeur. The kidnappers represent the warring criminal syndicates of the Ennui Blase, and demand the release of an underworld accountant, uh, Albert's nicknamed the Abacus, who possesses their shared financial records. The Abacus is being held in a solitary confinement cell at police headquarters. Wright recollects his own imprisonment in the same cell for his homosexuality for which he was bailed out by Howitzer and offered a job at the dispatch. Following a shootout at the kidnapper's hideout, Gigi makes manages to sneak out a message in Morse code to send the cook. Lieutenant Nescafe is sent into the kidnapper's hideout ostensibly to provide both them and Gigi with food, but secretly the food is laced with poison. The criminals all succumb to the poison except Gigi and the chauffeur as neither ate the poisoned radishes and Nescafe just barely survives due to his strong stomach. The chauffeur escapes with Gigi and leads the police on a chase. Gigi managed to escape out the sunroof and reunites with his father. During his recovery, Nescafe saves the abacus from starving to death by preparing him an omelet. The prisoner having been totally forgotten in the commotion. Back at the dispatch office, Howitzer tells Wright to reinsert a deleted segment. In it, a recovering Nescafe tells Wright that the taste of poison was unlike anything he'd ever eaten before. Um, before they commiserate over the state of being foreigners in France. Howitzer and Wright disagree on whether the conversation is the heart of the piece. And then finally, obituary. In an epilogue, the French dispatch staff mourn Howitzer's death, but set to work on putting together a final issue in honor of his memory. D- during the closing credits, there is a dedication to the following writers and editors, many of whom wrote for The New Yorker. Harold Ross, William Shawn, Rosamund Bernier, M- uh, Mavis Gallant, James Baldwin, AJ Leibling, S.N. Burn Berman, Lillian Ross, Janet Flanner, Lucy Sante, James Thurber, Joseph Mitchell, Volcott Gibbs, St. Clair McKelway, Ved Mata, Brendan Gill, E.B. White, and Catherine Waite. And additionally, to the featured song, Aline's writer, Christophe. I don't know what that means. But uh, anyways, that is the French Dispatch. Thanks for bearing with me. That was very long. I apologize. But um, kind of a, whole little thing so anyways justin when did you first oh sorry Go ahead. no okay no, good when did you first see the french dispatch and what did you think
0: <clears throat> i first saw it yesterday for the very first time
1: that was so long ago that was like yeah. six, six months ago i know and
0: uh i didn't really know what to think when i was watching it i was like what the hell is this and uh you know it's definitely very Wes anderson but um i think when it's all said and done i enjoyed it i'm glad i watched it
1: cool Yeah, I saw it in theaters. Um, I saw it at a more artisan theater in Seattle, and I really enjoyed the hell out of it. Um, I had a hard time. I liked watching it, but I had a hard time sitting back and being like, hmm, what does this rank for me? But rewatching it again, and I'll have to. um, uh, What am I trying to say? It's available on HBO Max. That's how I watched it. I believe that's how you watched it, too, Justin. Mm hmm. Okay. So, yeah, for anybody who wants to watch it again, yeah, I, I would highly recommend that because I caught a lot more in it and I really, really appreciated more of the stylistic uh, excess that that Anderson does. Um, and if you're a Wes Anderson fan, I think that's what can probably make or break this movie for you in my, oh, mind, yeah, in my opinion, because yeah. I, I mean, I I know of some people who just don't get his work and that's totally fine. But I wouldn't recommend this movie to them, because this is just oozing Wes Anderson. So.
0: Ooze. Ooze.
1: So speaking of all of Wes Anderson's films, how did this movie compare to uh his other movies for you?
0: Um, you know, that's actually kind of hard, man. I mean, I feel like I feel like if you've seen one Wes Anderson movie, you might feel like you've seen them all. And <laughs> and that's not like a, you know, an insult or anything like that. I think that he has a very distinct. Style and approach to films. And so I feel like this one's almost like it's hard to put into words, but like before when I watched a a Wes Anderson movie, you know, there's like one, like with Rushmore, right? There's Bill Murray. And then I might have seen or recognized a couple people, but that was about it. And then, you know, Royal Tannenbaum's had a lot more A listers in it. And I was just like, holy smokes, this movie is incredible. And then you know, life aquatic, same thing. It's like I saw a lot of repeat guys, but now it's like every major person, every player in Hollywood <laughs> yeah. was in this movie. And I'm just like, I don't know, man. It's it was a lot to it was a lot to digest, to be honest with you.
1: Yeah. Even I mean, even Christoph Waltz was in it for like two seconds, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's so interesting. I mean the Coens do that though too. Like the Coen's do that. Tarantino can have that with a lot of big A-listers. But I definitely think you're right where this one I was just like, holy shit, that person. Hey, hey, that's that other person. Hey, that's that other person. So
0: Right. And it's almost like you could have, you know, a stylistic drawing that just has every person that's ever acted in the history of Hollywood in this (laughs) fit on the poster for this movie. And um, that might that might be a bit much for people. But I think what's what is interesting, though, for me, Zach, is that I usually know about like 20 or 30 minutes into a Wes Anderson movie if I'm on board or not. Mm -hmm. and uh this one it wasn't until like the the third story that i was like all right i like this movie (laughs) (laughs) oh wow so
1: that's like almost the end like yeah i mean there was there was 30 right
0: yeah there was 30 minutes left of the movie (laughs) wow (laughs) yeah cool okay well interesting yeah I,
1: I agree uh, with you. I think that there's, I mean, we've discussed this too, where we're like, Oh man, I'm going to turn this off. Like you didn't like nightmare alley, you know, 30 minutes into it and you're like, ah, I don't want to watch this. So well,
0: yeah. uh, more of that was about my, my turnoffs for nightmare, which I didn't speak to when you mentioned that I had to turn it off, but um, I'm not a fan of watching animals get hurt or oh, yeah. uh, things of that nature. And the circus is known for tortured animals. And you know, like there's that scene where the guy's in the pit and he eats the chicken and I'm just like, I don't know, this isn't for me. <laughs> And so that and, and, I, and I can totally appreciate that it's a movie and that it's fake. But part of me knows that this is the life of the circus and I didn't want to be a part of it.
1: Yeah, no, that that absolutely makes sense. And I get it. And th- I mean, I agree. There were parts in that movie. I'm like, ooh, I don't like that. So, yeah, especially with that, with
0: that geek part. With my age, I have come to decide that my time is very valuable. <laughs> so <laughs> so I'm like, eh, I don't need to waste, you know, two hours watching this.
1: Yeah, totally. I I think this one ranks pretty high, honestly, in terms of the Wes Anderson films. I might be a little different from you. Like I loved Royal Tenenbaums when we did it and more so when we discussed it. Uh, it, But I think I'm I'm appreciating more of Wes Anderson's later films. And this one, I think, is just such a I love that it's a love letter to writers and to journalism. I'm a fan of films that are, quote unquote, love letter films. And this is just oozing with style. I eat this shit up. And Wes Anderson is a master of mise en I, I absolutely love this movie and I, I think it, it ranks pretty high for me. So, And we'll, we'll discuss those later on in, in, a, in a further question. But um, I do want to talk about that. So films of Wes Anderson are stylistically iconic. You could spot one a mile away just by watching a 30 second scene of any Wes Anderson film. I would wager at least. What are some of your favorite aspects of his movies?
0: Sure. So I like his color palette to start. Mm -hmm. Um, I really love just how like aesthetically pleasing each frame is in his films, (laughs) Uh, whether it be like, you know, the uh, like affinity of tone or color in in the shots. Uh, Something about it just really stands out in a pleasing way. It's not it doesn't make me feel uncomfortable. It's not jarring. Everything just kind of blends together, almost hypnotic in a weird way and so I really like that. I love the witty banner between the characters. Uh, they almost seem like they're in the wrong time, and <laughs> yeah. I don't believe I know a single human being that speaks the way that the characters do in his films, and I especially enjoy the retro vibes from his films, like the phones, the decor, the clothing, the hairstyles, and just like an overall lack of technology. You know, they they uh, they often write things down, you know, like You tell me something, I'm just going to like, okay, I'll remember that. But in his movies, people are constantly writing down and jotting things. And and whether they're using like a typewriter or a notepad or a journal, everything is documented in his movies. (laughs) And I think that that's, that's really funny. And I like that that's a thing. I find it charming. And same goes for his music choices. I always find myself liking the music that are in his movies, but it's never anything that would be in my crazy eclectic music collection. You know what I mean? So Yeah.
1: Yeah. He does a very good job with sound and music. I watched this really awesome uh, 15-minute video breakdown from Studio Binder on just Wes Anderson's style and films. And everything you're saying, I love his color palette. I think it's so cool. And you see it in every single film, how it represents. Moonrise Kingdom is very brown and yellow throughout. Steve Zizou is very red and blue. Royal Tenenbaums is bright pretty much all around, representing each family member's kind of own personal style. And then same thing with this you get kind of this morose feel for certain parts of France, but then it goes back to that retro feel to, to put you in a different time, but it's almost like a nondescript time, right? Like it feels like it could be 2021, but also it's, it's, it's very toned down. And we saw a lot of that in like, um in her, uh, Spike Jones does a lot of that kind of stuff where he makes the color palette uh, pop to an, uh ambiguous timeline where it's like well this is going to be the future because they have technology but it looks like it was made in like the 60s or something so i'm i'm a big fan of of what Wes does with his color palette for sure and um symmetry all the symmetry he does um just how he composes his shots is is so great writing about his characters is really cool because and if you think about this i thought this was a fascinating thing um most of the the children characters that he has in his movies, because he has like young characters in his films. They are children for for all intents and purposes, but they act like adults and then vice versa. You yeah, they're have very the, smart. Yeah, you have the adults acting like children. So like um Gene Hackman is basically a child to his family in Royal Tenenbaums and all these other things happen. And I, I think that's so great, but it's so silly. And, and that's how I can kind of describe his movies as being so silly, right? Right. Um. They
0: they, they tend to have like this uh, gross lack of accountability
1: or responsibility. Absolutely. I think that's exemplified best in the Royal Tenenbaums, honestly. But very, very cool and uh, really enjoy that. Um, I I think it's it's so brilliant. But he's that's that's probably why I like this movie so much is because they put all of Wes's favorite styles and detail on full blast. It's like at at 11, basically, and um, it's it's very present. I feel it it really is. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, so speaking of his style, do you think Anderson's films ever become stale? Uh, You were kind of touching on this earlier. Is it, is too much of a good thing eventually bad?
0: Well, so I was thinking about this on my walk last night. Rizzo and I were going for a walk and I just started thinking about like just Wes Anderson movies in general. And, uh, there are a few, like, standouts that are completely different, I think, from others, you know, like, um, uh, like the Fox one and then like Bottle Rocket, you know, but I feel like I could insert uh, Rushmore or Tenenbaums or Life Aquatic or uh, freaking Grand P- Budapest Hotel. I feel like those all kind of are just like the same movie, almost like he has this meta universe and all of these characters all live in this same world. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. I think that in a weird way, you know, he's he's made the you know, there's like a Tarantino verse kind of thing. I feel Mm -hmm. like there's a a, an Anderson verse as well. And and I think that that's okay. And I know that when I go watch a Wes Anderson movie, I know what I'm getting myself into. And, you know, it's not uncommon to look at his movies. Like a play with different acts, and this movie, they're they're freaking literally pulling the stage away and setting up new yeah. <laughs> scenery as you're watching it. It was shot in a very interesting frame, right? It's mm-hmm. you know, the aspect ratio is just like if you're watching it on your like an uh, old TV like show, four
1: point three to one or something yeah. like that, yeah.
0: And so I thought that was an interesting choice, and it's not always like that. Certain title cards have like the full screen and everything, but I thought that was a very interesting approach. But I I, I think it's okay in that he's never really deviated too much to where this is just him. This is who he is. This is what you're going to get. And I I think that that's, that's okay. And in the same vein as like, like people that like Woody Allen movies, they're all fucking the same movie, man. And, (laughs) um, you know, Tarantino, same thing, you know, what you're getting yourself into. And so I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. He's not copying anybody else. It's, it's his, it's his style. It's what he does. And so I, I don't see a problem with it. But but at the same token, if 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 a friend or family member watched any of my favorite Wes Anderson movies and thought it was meh, I wouldn't dare show them another one.
1: Yeah, there's not really. It's hard to be like, okay, well, I know you didn't really like that one, but you might like this one more with Wes Anderson because you're either you're on the train or you forgot to buy a ticket sort of thing. Right. And um, with him, I mean, I'm, I'm first class train ticket all the way. I I'll see anything the man does. He has the clout for me and absolutely just love what what he's he's bringing to the table. So I remember when they first announced this movie, you see the cast. You're like, oh, my God. Right. We talked about Oppenheimer with Nolan and we know Nolan's style. We know it's going to be muffled sounds it's going to be big explosions and big, you know, boom, all that kind of stuff. But Mm -hmm. we're still going to see it because we like Nolan's style for the most part. So, um, yeah, with with Anderson, I I definitely I don't think I I think you have to like it from the get go because otherwise it'll become stale
0: hmm. And I, I was trying to think about like the demographic, right? Because like all the things that I mentioned of why I like his movies could be reasons why people hate him. <laughs> so yeah, as you know, someone sense. as someone that grew up, you know, I was born in the in 1980. And so a lot of the stuff around our house was from the 70s. And so as I'm seeing stuff in his movies, I'm like, oh man, we had something like that, or we had luggage <laughs> yeah. like that, or a credenza. oh man, <laughs> yeah, and I'm just like, fuck, and so you know, it, it strikes a chord with me. But then, you know, there's also people that grew up in that same time period, so that they would they would actually recognize it even further, or maybe they even owned one of those things. And then, then there's the people that are past all that you know like they're not interested in any sort of retro thing and then there's the the flip side of that the people that only you know like oh let me go check out this record store and buy all this cool <laughs> stuff <laughs> and so those people it might appeal to as well but i i was just kind of racking my brain just thinking about the pros and cons to to wes anderson and i do think that if i were a a film student again i do think that i would be able to to latch myself on to wes anderson's school of thinking and how he films things and i would very much want to adopt his his model i do think that he brings a lot to the table and that you can learn a lot from watching his movies uh from a technical standpoint totally Um, dialogue you know you can take it or leave it i personally enjoy it uh it kind of reminds me of this you know like the, the golden age of of hollywood you know where where people just spoke differently and they talked fast and they were smart and <laughs> real wise guy, eh? Yeah, see? <laughs> yeah, and so. <laughs> so I definitely just enjoy. I enjoy the beats and and I, I totally get it if you're not into it. And that's that's fine. As, as someone that that has some very bizarre taste in movies, I can appreciate when someone doesn't <laughs> like something. But uh, I do think if if you can. Look at it from a technical lens that that he does bring a lot to the table. And and while something might seem a bit obscure or weird, it has every right and reason to be in that shot. Totally. And I love his uh, obscurity. Um,
1: and I love I mean, certain things that I picked from this movie that I was really like, oh, that was super cool were anytime he would do. Um people frozen on the screen to make it look like a photograph, but they're really, you know, they're actually there just pausing because you can see them kind of shake a little bit mm-hmm. and how he would juxtapose that and, and blend it into certain scenes like at the, um, at the cafe for Timothy Chalamet's story where you'd have people just standing still, not moving like they're in a picture, but then everyone's walking around them. I thought that was so neat how he blended that kind of stuff. Uh, addition, right. additionally for, uh, Rosenthaler's story when it showed, um, uh, the young, young Rosenthaler and he goes to prison, shaved head with a medallion on. And then Benicio de comes up, puts his hand on his shoulder. They switch places, obviously to show the passage of time, but it's not just like a jump cut to it, or it's not a transition to it. It's they're actually showing them switch. And I thought that was so neat, right? I mean, I never would have thought of something like that to do. And that, that is quintessential to what Anderson does that, that fits his style, right? Um, I was laughing really hard when Rosenthaler and uh, Adrian Brody's character were fighting and he was in the wheelchair and he was chasing him and stuff. That was hilarious. Right. But
0: I, that my, I think one of my other favorite parts in the movie was when you know he's got this, this naked model posing and he goes up and he's just kind of poking around and trying to, and, and readjusting her pose because she had moved a little bit and you hear like bones crack. And, you know, he thinks that we think that he's making this, you know this portrait of this this model (laughs) and then it cuts back to the (laughs) the painting it's just this red blob it's like jesus christ i thought that was so funny
1: yeah that was pretty funny well and and that's what was um and another thing with that too how that scene went from black and white to color to
0: color right yeah the the blotch
1: was, was yeah red yeah loved that. I loved every minute of that and how he did it and mixing, you know, the different styles with the the animation in. I thought that was awesome. Uh, you talked about set designs. It felt like plays at times. I think that was so cool. But yeah, I, I really, really liked it. And actually, you said your favorite line earlier was by Bob Blah, Blah or whatever. Yeah. But mine was uh, when Timothy Chalamet is like, I'm shy about my new muscles. I'm
0: shy
1: about my new muscles. <laughs> so I say that every once in a while. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I might have said it off air, but yeah, it's when they're looking at the the art gallery, and he's he's like, "Why is this good?" <laughs> the engineer's like, "It isn't." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can I can appreciate that. As someone that has been to several art museums and 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 went to uh, the the Louvre for crying out loud, I was like, "Why is this here?" <laughs> like <laughs> after five minutes, I was like, "Let's go." And oh. so I just I can't. It's really, really hard for me to appreciate art. I am not a student of, of art in the sense that I don't know what is good. I mean, this piece might cost $5 million, and I could not tell you for the life of me why it costs $5 million instead of $5 American.
1: Well I think that's exactly what he was uh, I think that's exactly what Cadazio was was talking about he's he's like we're going to hype him up make this the new the next Mona Lisa basically right
0: right and, 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 it's all about yeah. the man right? it's about the artist mm-hmm. not yeah. the work right yeah. and so that's that's definitely interesting like Banksy right like there's someone that's willing to pay you know hundreds of thousands of dollars for a Banksy right what why I don't get it <laughs> yeah. I don't understand
1: yeah. Who versus,
0: right? Yeah. <laughs> so, it's, it's different for everyone, I suppose. But. Absolutely. So are there any directors, uh,
1: whose distinct style was great at first, but have, but you personally have since grown tired of.
0: Yeah. And I kind of feel bad saying this one. I don't like to speak too ill of people, but like with M night Shyamalan, I think that's a great example where everyone was just expecting a, a twist with his movies. And I feel like he just sort of became, uh, uh what do you call it like a
1: typecast or no no
0: no like he's a a, a victim of his own creation kind of thing mm-hmm. to where everyone expects a twist mm. uh only because we had so many in a row <laughs> so yeah. i'm like oh, okay <laughs> calm down guy we don't we don't need to just do a normal movie what's wrong with that and um it's it's tricky but yeah he's he's kind of a big one for me and i think I think that I don't want to say Nolan. I know that I, I feel like such an asshole when I talk bad about, <laughs> about Christopher Nolan. The guy's an incredible filmmaker. It's just <laughs> lately late his last couple of movies just haven't resonated with me personally. <laughs> and it drives me fucking crazy. And, and I'm glad that people like his movies. I think it's it's awesome. But like, I just, I'm just shaking my head. I'm just like, I don't get it. I don't get it. <laughs> I don't, I don't yeah. get it so yeah. i i can appreciate that he i will see every movie that this man makes i have to I, I i am so excited about what he brings to the table um i just don't always enjoy the finished product and that's and that's yeah. just me being me i suppose but
1: no that's fair it makes total sense i don't i don't disagree with you sir So The French Dispatch, it's loaded with amazing actors like we talked about earlier. They're everyone and their mothers in this film. Uh, Many of these have been repeated through Wes Anderson's films. Did you have a favorite character in The French Dispatch? And uh, who would you have liked to see more of?
0: Um, So I do think that uh, I really liked Adrian Brody's character. I thought he was fabulous when he was like, you know, I'll give you a deposit, but I don't have a whole lot on me. right now, So I <laughs> yeah. want to give you whatever he gave him, like, like chocolate and, pocket sand and a couple <laughs> yeah. of nuts or something. Yeah. I thought that was pretty awesome. Uh, but I do think everyone pretty much did what they needed to do. Minus Bill Murray. I think that it would have been a lot more fun if there were interruptions in the story mm-hmm. and, and him saying like, you know, questioning um, their, their decision-making in the story. Right, And I know that we got that in between stories, but I think it would have been fun like in how the princess bride, when you overhear the voiceover, of the grandpa and Fred Savage kind of talking Yeah, and he's like, he's like, shut up or whatever. And like kind of call, like trying to, yeah. to silence like the kissing kid. story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like stuff like that. I think cause he, he knew how to make a good story and he was obviously a bit of a, a control freak at times. And so, um i did like how he gave his writers agency but at the same time he was like well this would make it better you know this yeah. is the this is the story right here you know he had that editor's eye that was able to to make something good into something great and so just for the sake of us it might have been a little bit more fun if we got to see uh how controlling he was mhm but that's just, that's just that's just me. Yeah,
1: just make it make it sound like you wrote it that way on purpose.
0: Exactly, and I yeah. I, I like that. I, I love that line. I so think much. that's cute. Yeah. Well,
1: and he he just believed in his writers, right? Don't cry in my office. I remember that too. Yeah. He believed he believed in his writers, and and this was his passion. And I think that that was so cool. But I I agree. It would have been fun to have more of Bill Murray for sure. Um, I would have liked to actually to see more of Christoph Waltz because it was just it was a very interesting cameo and he was there to be set up with with Francis McDormand who was so brilliant and I she's one of my favorites ever um but I, I i would have liked to see a little more of christoph Waltz.
0: right and then actually uh i had actually written down a note uh right as the character said it but when when um timothy chalamet's mom and dad s- kind of set her up um to meet with him uh and she's like yeah i'm you know i'm single and i'm okay with that i don't want to be I, I i believe in relationships that end and the the mom says uh loneliness is a kind of poverty and i believe that to be true i think that's a pretty brilliant line yeah uh, loneliness is a kind of poverty and uh, i know that a lot of people can relate to that uh, especially Uh, during the pandemic, right? We all were tested in these weird ways that we never really thought were imaginable. And of course, people that are in prison... Uh, probably experiences more than than the average Joe, but when you are alone with your thoughts and that's all you have, that can be very painful sometimes. Yes, <laughs> preaching to the choir. Yeah, <laughs> and I, and I, and I get that, and so like I hate being I hate being by myself. I like just knowing that there's another person in the room or upstairs or nearby that I could just you <laughs> or know, under the a, bed <laughs> have a, have a have a quick conversation with. Yeah. And so I can I appreciate that. And we were talking about. What is the movie? Um, the Christmas movie. Which one? Did you like? it's, a oh, one it's a Wonderful Life. It's a Wonderful Life. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, what was the line? Something like "No one is ever poor when they have friends" or something like that. Yeah, I forget what it is. Yeah,
1: I'll I'll, I'll find it because I don't want to mess it up.
0: But yeah, anyways, okay, something to that effect, where you know, just having friends and and, and relationships, you know, can can is a is a form of wealth. And so that really resonated with me. So, I mean, it's kind of the opposite. taste, more of the pessimistic side of looking at things instead of the, the opposite. But I love that loneliness is a kind of poverty. I think I think that, that that line isn't funny, but it definitely resonated with
1: me. Totally. Yeah. Dear George, remember, no man is a failure who has friends. Thanks there for the go. wings. Love, Clarence. I nope. completely
0: agree. And that's when the exactly. waterworks, waterworks come for me. I'm just like, oh, God. <laughs> so I love it. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, she looked at life differently, right? Mm-hmm. She believes in relationships that end, and I thought that was uh, interesting. Different strokes for different folks.
1: Yeah, and only Frances McDormand can deliver such a performance like that. She was
0: so good. I loved her. I have to
1: say something. I know
0: (laughs) (laughs) she's so good. I know I need to.
1: I need to maintain journalistic neutrality, but
0: (laughs) (laughs) I have to say something. something.
1: Oh, she's incredible. Love her. Uh, Margie. So even though this film's packed with top tier talent, uh, many of the performances are brief whispers like we were talking about. Can this ever be a bad thing to have too many good actors oversaturated on screen for a two hour film? And like, would it be a
0: waste? I feel like this movie came about as close as you could possibly get, man. (laughs) Like as I was watching, I was like, fuck, another A-lister. Oh my gosh, look at who this guy's, you know, getting everybody. And that's cool that he is, he has... Basically, become such a staple in Hollywood that, and, and someone that that is admired to where you want to be in a Wes Anderson movie. But as I'm watching, it, I'm just like, fuck! They got everybody in this movie. <laughs> and while I'm thinking that, I'm not paying attention to the story, Zach. I'm just like, holy shit! They got this person. They got that person. <laughs> yeah. And so that, that can be distracting for it sure. W- it was a little distracting, and I, I, it may have got been too much. But at the same time, I enjoyed the movie. So. I mean, it, it obviously isn't bad, but I can definitely see how, you know, how I'm having those internal conversations with like, where have I seen that guy from? <laughs> and I know that my dad would just have a stroke watching this movie because he'd be like, isn't that the guy from that one thing whose buddies with the dude that's in that other movie? And uh, I don't even know if I've seen it. Have I seen that movie that we were talking about? And like, I'm like, dad, you're missing the whole movie right now. We've already said 18 lines of dialogue while you were talking about this.
1: Oh, so I
0: do think that it it is potentially problematic. It wasn't so uh, for me in a way, but um, man, I tell you, I I was definitely playing the game of of, uh, who's who.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I, I agree. I do, But I do that for almost all movies. I'm like, ooh, that bit actor. He was also in Jojo Rabbit. He was in, he was this character. And I'm like, how do I know that? And, mm-hmm. But but this more so, you're absolutely right. You see the A-listers, you're like, oh my God, it's that person. And you go back in your mind, or you go on IMDb, and you're like, that's who I thought it was. The guy from Lost. So. Right.
0: And and this movie is interesting in that there, there are parts where there's just no talking. And mm-hmm. there's things happening on screen. They're telling the story. And that's when you're going to play that game. When you think that you're, you got a moment to breathe, but you don't. You really do need to be paying attention to what's happening because part of the fun is the physical comedy that exists uh, outside of the characters actually <laughs> doing things. This is the background. Oh, the God, background noise it. is often hysterical in Wes Anderson films.
1: I like when uh, the the prisoners are going to mutiny, and he's like, what do I do? And then Benicio del Toro says, lock the door. And they all just burst through that <laughs> big wall instead. Yeah. <laughs> That was brilliant. That was very Buster Keaton esque, you know. just yeah. locks a door, then boom, <laughs> the whole thing comes down. God, that was funny. I enjoyed the hell out of that. So yeah, I agree, man. I've uh I don't I don't disagree with what you're saying. It can be a little distracting at times, but
0: yeah. who knows? I mean, it's cool that so many people want to be involved in the project though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of and actors, for twenty five million dollars too, for that matter.
1: Yeah, well, a lot of these actors, you know, they just they said it was the most fun they've done on on a film and just hanging out. It's when when you have that kind of clout as an actor, you just might as well do it. Timothy Chalamet is like one of the biggest actors right now in Hollywood, and he
0: was great for this role.
1: Like I'm sure yeah. filming didn't take yeah. very long for him, right? So oh, I know, and
0: how he just says that cigarette is dangling out of his mouth, oh, he's like good. the total yeah. like cartoon Frenchman, just just constantly smoking a cigarette.
1: His little shit mustache, God, I hated that <laughs> <Yeah>. thing. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah. Oh, and so I liked
0: th- how all the noise that they were making, you know, that everyone's just arguing with each other, but they're all on the same side. I thought that was so funny. I, I had no idea what they were fighting about. Exactly. That's the whole point. i was like, it, yeah. I'm like, what, what is the problem here? <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> it's, I mean, obviously it's about the
1: radicalism and stuff like that, but uh, I, I really enjoyed, I don't know if you caught it in the beginning. So when they first, you're first introduced to Bill Murray and um, all the writers around there, like Elizabeth Moss and all of them after Bill Murray, he's, Giving them orders, they go. Right, that's my favorite. <laughs> like, that's... M- mumbling, honestly, yeah, the so rumbling. Good. Every sentence oh is... <laughs> so fucking. Good. And then I they was... continued
0: to do yeah. it during the obituary. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my god. It's sorry, so right, so fucking. <laughs> So funny. I I almost texted you like, oh my God, I love the mumbling. This is the greatest thing ever. And then the guy that just eats
1: crackers every time he's just reading a book. They're like, he's never completed an article, but he's been here for like 10 years or
0: something. He's eating crackers. (laughs) (laughs) Just a random guy. Yeah. That goes back to the play bit. Like, you know, all Mm -hmm. the other players that are on the stage would need to do something while the actor main actors are talking.
1: Exactly. Loved it. So I I discussed this earlier, but this movie is a love letter to journalism and print media. I grew up reading Life Magazine, Time Magazine, and People Magazine. (laughs) Uh, Seems that physical media has died out these days, though. What are your thoughts on this transition to digital versions of everything? Are are there certain items that you must have as physical copies?
0: So I I love it. I love the digital age. I know that people are going to be mad at that, but just think of all the resources that we're not wasting by printing out a billion magazines that are all going to be thrown away and shredded and although when i go to the airport it is not uncommon for me to pick up a magazine or a book at the the local gift shop there at the airport um but i'm totally cool with it i love the accessibility on my phone to being able to read articles from 18 different newspapers or magazines or whatever uh so i'm 100 on board i like the idea of a kindle if you've ever moved and you have a fucking um library like uh, (laughs) bell from beauty and the beast (laughs) it's a pain in the ass and if i could just have all those books on a kindle or something sure why not Uh, i do agree that there is something fun about a physical copy of something uh particularly like old video game magazines those are always so amazing like I i love flipping through stuff like that but at the same time i get my my little whiff of excitement and then it goes away. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do with this thing now? So <laughs> yeah. um, I, I am all for the digital age. I love the, the instant accessibility. I don't have to worry about torn pages. I don't have to worry about getting a protective sleeve for a comic book or, or if you have comic book boxes and they weigh 8,000 pounds when you have a hundred of them in a box, it's uh it's a process. So uh, I'm all for it. I'm, I, I realize that might be upsetting people. Movies, same way fucking digital everything man just to be able to just turn on my tv and just pick a movie to watch forget about it that's like the greatest thing ever instead of going through the binder or going through that huge bookshelf of all these <laughs> movies pulling a disc out and inserting it and like and then again if you ever move it's a yeah man, yes so and then now uh, your your
1: criterion collection gets thrown away by alex when you. oh yeah that.
0: you know what though part of that's kind of liberating i'm just like fuck it it's one less yeah. thing to worry about so when she, when she took like 300 or 400 movies and just put them all in a binder. And I'm like, all right. And then I'm like, oh, where's that box for this? Oh, where's that box for that? But to be fair, she's like, hey, do you want to go through any of these before I, right. I do this project? And I'm just like, nah, that's fine. I'm playing a game. And then I'm like, wait a minute now. What happened to that box? What happened to this box? But it, it is liberating. I I give so much stuff away. Like all my toys. Like I, I love buying it, I love having it. But then I'm like, what am I going to do with this? So then it's like, here you go. You can have it. And so uh, it is definitely liberating to get rid of things. And and selling it is cool and all, but then you got to go meet with the person. You got to do a weird <laughs> handshake. You look both ways. You, you got to hug them. Yeah, I don't know. So I just try to give stuff away. It's better that way. But physical... Um, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay with the digital stuff. I am look at all my video games, I'm like, fuck. I, I do love the aspect of preservation of video games. You know, these studios come and go. Some of them shutter, and the game's just no longer available, and if you had it on digital, and you you know you don't have that console anymore, how are you going to get the game? You're not, and so that's sad. So I do appreciate certain things in the physical media form, but if I'm given a choice, I will go digital all the way. I'm right there with you
1: I, I got rid of a lot of physical media just because I don't like the clutter I don't like all the stuff sure it looks cool but I don't live in a house I don't own my house and so knowing that I will move at some point I, I do not want 19 heavy ass boxes of just movies right like when I used to move all the time when I was younger it was like six boxes of just DVDs <laughs> it yeah. was ridiculous so and some of them weren't even that cool like some covers are amazing like the steelbook collections or yeah anything criterion are usually fantastic so I'll buy that every once in a while when they're on sale but that is i mean that's a rarity so mm-hmm. yeah, yeah I need <laughs> no 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 no. yes i heard three clicks on that tommy <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so um why so 75 on rotten tomatoes why wasn't this movie as beloved as what as wes anderson's other films and the reason i'm asking this is because it got snubbed at the academy awards when this feels like an oscar bait film
0: yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe we talked about it. Maybe people are just, uh, maybe they're over it. They want to see something different. They want to see Blue Steel. Yeah, and, uh, but this is the Magnum. same. They've seen Blue Steel. They want to see Magnum rather. The same Oscar voters who will give you like
1: the Green Book Best Picture, any period piece there is, they'll they'll give it Best Picture. And I'm like, fuck off, dude. So I don't know.
0: I don't. I don't know the answer to that, man. Yeah. I I, I think it's really good. I enjoy I enjoy it a lot. I don't. But I I, I don't know. It is kind of weird. As I was saying, like. You know, it was it was a good hour and change before I decided that I liked the movie. Mm-hmm. And that is that's that's weird. Yeah, and, fair, fair uh, enough. And so maybe maybe just it's just one of those things. It is it's a pretty big commitment because I don't I don't think you quite understand what the movie is about <laughs> as you're watching it. You're like, wait, why? What are these three stories? What's happening? And I mean, it gives you the information, but. One of the aspects of of these Wes Anderson movies is that we've already talked about is there's so much going on in the background that you're kind of distracted. There's a lot of we were talking about this with with uh, Prestige. There's a lot of misdirection where you just you're you're unintentionally distracted by things that are happening, and that could be a problem too. I, I, honestly, as someone that loves Wes Anderson and his movies, I was. <laughs> literally at my wit's end, I'm like, I don't know what the fuck this movie is about.
1: <laughs> I agree because I was the same way when I saw it in theaters. I was like, wait, hold on. So we're doing chapters. Like, what, what is this all one contained story? And then after I yeah, when it ended, I'm like, oh, I really like that. It's like a, a magazine or it's like a, you know, a journal. And that was really cool. And again, like I said, watching it the second time, I appreciated it so much more knowing what the story was like. They were right. segments. They were vignettes. They were very pulp fiction-esque. So
0: right. And um, I really liked how uh, they're all expats. You know, these are all yes. fish out of water people. They are they are in an environment that isn't their their norm. And they are just, you know, trying to fit in. And they mm-hmm. obviously don't. <laughs> they're everyone's kind of weird in their own way. And uh it's it's kind of fun. I don't know. I I enjoy that aspect of it. As someone that, you know, you've traveled, you've been to a lot of places, and uh, you know, there's that that sort of weird awkwardness that happens and you know you're a tourist and you know you stand out but (laughs) you know when you pack up your shit and go live in another country for a year two three years whatever the case may be 20 years you know you're always going to be an outsider
1: right absolutely yeah man i agree completely i uh, i i try to be less touristy whenever i travel but sometimes it doesn't work yeah yeah I have a shirt that says USA number one when I travel.
0: (laughs) It said I got a free shirt.
1: (laughs) It says says, make America great again. (laughs) (laughs) He's American. Yeah. There you go. Um, Have you ever wanted to be a journalist? And if not, what is a profession that you dreamed of as a kid?
0: Yeah, so I did uh, video game journalism for about eight years. (laughs) This game is good. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, That was fun. I had a blast. Uh, But at a certain point, it, it became interesting because I enjoyed video games my entire life. And... Uh, when i had to do reviews it became homework and i found myself oh. enjoying video games a little bit less and yeah. so it was kind of taxing in a lot of ways i didn't understand how something that i love so much could be some hard work <laughs> yeah. and i didn't want to do it anymore i was like oh, i don't like this anymore and so uh it was it was definitely a challenge i mean i i didn't i wasn't like you know, boots on the ground over here and you know search you know foreign land, and um, <laughs> that would be a little bit more tricky. So, um, I I got to be in the kinder, gentler sort of journalism, and I was I was okay with that. But you know, in school, I I toyed with the idea of getting a degree in in journalism, but I I hate writing. As someone that writes for a living, I fucking hate writing. <laughs> <laughs> drives yeah. me nuts um and you know I, you know I, i'm a copywriter and things are you know getting the message across getting the point across having to you know target certain demographics and being able to speak to this person and that person and all these people in different age groups and blah 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 um it's it's a challenge it's it has its own you know merits and it's fun in a lot of ways but uh as far as what i like most about it writing is my job that is writing is at the very freaking bottom of that <laughs> list. yeah yeah so um as someone that could, that has tried it i can say i didn't like it
1: no that's yeah. not good did you dream of uh, any other professions when you were a kid
0: you know i never really knew what i wanted to be growing up i watched a lot of movies and saw a lot of really cool roles and films that would always be really neat but i think uh, once i became sort of a higher uh, age teenager, like, uh, you know, the senior in high school or so, uh, I really wanted to, to make movies. So, I mean, I would say that, you know, being in the, the movie making field of some kind was probably, uh, one of the things that I liked most. I thought I wanted to be a screenwriter, but then that fell into the writing category. And I learned pretty quickly (laughs) that I, that's not something that I want to do. Wouldn't you know, I end up writing for a living, but, um, it's a different kind of writing, you know? So, uh, and I don't, I don't write particularly well, uh, in the grand scheme of things. You know, there are to have to be. I think one of the coolest things is, let's say that you're in high school and you're reading someone's book in class, and that author is still alive. That's pretty fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. Like just to know that you, have, you have your words are so incredible that children are learning it. That is a pretty big deal. And I remember thinking, you know, not quite jealousy, but envious. Like, man, that's pretty badass to be able to just put this book together and know that children all over the country are reading it. That's a pretty big deal. Yeah. I thought that was uh, pretty amazing, but as far as just daydreaming about, Oh, I want to be a fireman or an astronaut or things <laughs> like that. No, not really. I remember thinking I want to make movies and, uh, I got to make one, didn't enjoy it. And I never want to do it again. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> Leave that for the movie-making professionals.
1: Yeah, yeah, fuck that. I mean, honestly,
0: it's like 18-hour days, man. Yeah. And when you got to do a lot of those in a row, you are uh, you are tested. And uh, <laughs> it is intense. And you are going to be an angry person. And it's not always for someone that's in a relationship. You know, if you're single and ready to mingle and, 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 and you don't have anyone to report back to or... You know, other responsibilities like kids, or or a significant other, or a, or even a, an animal for crying out loud. You know, your your poor dog. If you're gone for 18 hours, your dog's gonna just be depressed, right? Uh-huh. And so you can't have a whole lot of other commitments in that business. And if if you have the time and the energy, and and the youth, <laughs> then go <laughs> for it. But it'll it'll suck the life out of you really, really fast. Yeah. Not gonna lie. I mean, anytime we had a guest speaker in college uh, and and from from the business and someone say, you know, what do you recommend to someone that's just trying to to, to find their way in Hollywood? The first response is always don't do something else. <laughs> just don't. Yeah. Just go do some. Just just take two steps back and fuck your own <laughs> face because you will get way more enjoyment out of that than trying to break it in this business. And, oh, and I, I think that, that that's, you know, there's some truth to that. You know, you can't give up. You're going to hear no a billion trillion fucking times. And uh, it's going to be hard. I mean, you're not going to be Wes Anderson overnight, man.
1: No, nowhere near Wes Anderson overnight. He's,
0: he's a very talented dude. You know, a bottle rocket. You could love it or hate it. But eventually it opened up the door for him to do Rushmore. And he had fucking Bill Murray in his movie starring in his movie yeah yeah he saw something in him and he said wow i want to be in this guy's fucking movies and he's been in what nine nine less yeah yeah
1: and pretty decently one of the, significant one of the, roles in each one
0: yeah and he's like the grumpiest fucking asshole i in know Hollywood. that's what i hear he's late to everything <laughs> he's a dick
1: <laughs> bill murray man jesus people love him though so. they
0: do and mm-hmm. rightfully so he's great he is
1: he's just a fucking asshole <laughs> <I guess laughs> to people <laughs> That fucking Bob Barker, man. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: Get some grub. What was your favorite story segment and why? Oh, man. Okay. So I really, I think the first first story really set the tone for me and just how silly this movie was going to be. I feel like... uh, It's not for sale. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it (laughs) is. Everything is not. (laughs) (laughs) Why are you doing it then? Yeah. yeah. It's like, you're an artist, right? Yeah. I thought that was good. I could relate to that on so many levels. I was like, fuck, Adrian Brody's like my fucking hero in this movie. He's really good. And I really enjoyed his character. But, you know, so one the first story really set the tone for me. And I was like, fuck, this is cool. And then the second one, I I don't want to say it was a lull. But I feel like I had to pay attention on a level that I was not ready to do. Like, uh, there's just a lot going on in that movie. It was very very noisy. There's a lot of fights. And uh, I was really questioning what this movie was about in the second story. But it was the third story, as I was saying, that really cemented my enjoyment for this film. And a lot of that has to do with how it was shot. Fucking... Wes Anderson cranks it up to 11 on the technical aspect for the third story. And there's so many things about it that I enjoy, particularly the deep space shots. So there's these moments where, where Jeffrey Wright is walking down a hallway and he's a billion miles away. He's probably using like a wide angle lens because you're able to see the walls to the next room on the left and right hand side. It was like divided into thirds with the hallway being in the middle. And he's walking towards the screen. And I am the biggest fucking sucker for deep space shots and division into thirds. And so much of, of the third story was division into thirds to where there was always a person on the right, a person on the left and a person in the middle. Same goes for the background. Even when, when, um, uh, Willem Dafoe or whatever goes to pick up the, the package, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's the two small buildings on the left and right side. There's that far building all the way in the back where all the gunshots come from and uh, where the kidnapping take place or where the where the hostage is being held rather. And then the car that pulls up in the middle and then he's got to walk all the way to the front of the wall where the camera's at. I'm just like this is my shot right here. Like everything about this is just screaming Justin and I love that shit so goddamn much and especially when uh, they're at the dinner table and it keeps cutting back to like the the chef and mm-hmm. then where all of his little workers are at, and he's like, "I have no idea what the hell goes on in the kitchen." And it shows all <laughs> this, all this, this nonsense happening. So much of of what Jeffrey Wright was saying, he was describing things as we're watching it, and that's mm-hmm. one of my my biggest loves in all of Hollywood is when someone is telling me how something is happening, and I'm watching it. I think that's why I enjoy the Ocean movies so much, mm-hmm. yeah, Ocean's Eleven and Thirteen, for that matter, um, is because we're we're getting to watch this sort of scenario play out as someone is explaining it. I I love that so much. And so it was the third story that that really uh, took me for a ride. The private dining room of the police uh, commissioner.
1: And I think it's exactly why I liked that the most. That was my favorite one because of the excessive style that he uses in it. And it's so cool. Because you're getting animation. You're getting those deep focus shots like you're talking about. You're getting um, the division into threes. You're getting the, the, the palette changes from black and white to... Or, or the filter from black and white to color. Um, you're getting these weird like shot reverse shots that work so well. And then one thing that Anderson does in his films is you know how he... He's, he's excellent with framing and symmetry. He constantly uses like a a set camera, a placed camera, and focuses um, filming a scene like a play. But in this one, in the third uh, story, he breaks off every once in a while and he uses handheld. So like Mm -hmm. when he's following um, the chauffeur, Edward uh, Norton's character, he's using handheld. I'm like, holy shit, that was weird. Uh, But we talked about aspect ratios too. He adjusts them. If you watch it again, he adjusts the aspect ratios from like a 4.3 to like 1.3 or something like that. And he just does that throughout the film. And so that's why I think this movie deserves multiple watches because it's just so awesome to see. And in my opinion, and like this is just what I think from it, I think that because he's used so much excess in his style, it's kind of like a microcosm for how he he, he loves these authors and, and how Horowitz gives each of them um, leeway and all this freedom to do their own thing because they all have their own style. Each story is different because each author is different. And I loved that so much. Mm-hmm. But technically, like you were saying earlier, too, from a technicality standpoint, this is top freaking notch. The third segment. I absolutely loved it. I loved the animated scene. The wrestler police guy was hilarious. Oh, um, funny, yeah. So funny. Love every <laughs>
0: championship belt. Yeah, and then so like, stupid. I really like the, the hostage building. And how it goes from left to right. And it shows just all the different rooms. It kind of reminded me of like Rear Window. Yes. And how the apartment complex. And it's yes. just going to all the different rooms. And then even the little boy he's tapping like Morris code on the pipe yeah <laughs> and the, the ladies on the other side of the door and we know that that wall doesn't even exist where yeah you know, we're exactly just literally on a set and I thought that was so funny like a- and, and you he know, does 500 that a lot. people could go walking up to these actors because there isn't really a wall there and I thought that was so great
1: and he does that it. so much um he he does like you were talking about the deep focus too in the shootout scene Jeffrey Wright's trying to write something down so all you see is his hand as like the choke shot basically and mm-hmm. then him in the in the middle ground so the foreground is that him in the middle, and then the background is um, like you know the, the actual shootout going on, and you can tell there's no real gap between things. There's no physical barriers between the walls, and uh, yeah, Sorshi Ronan, uh, who I absolutely love, she was the the prostitute gal that was talking with him, and oh man, so good. Yeah, just talking, just thinking about that kind of stuff was was really really cool. I liked yeah, it a lot. It,
0: it was great. I, I really dug that. That's why I was like, when he's doing his monologue, when Jeffrey Wright is uh, doing his monologue right when he's after his he's he starts his interview mm-hmm. right with cotton weary and then he's <laughs> uh walking through the building and and giving us this direction and then he's like oh it's a case of mistaken identity <laughs> he's like how long you been in this chicken coop <laughs> i was like that's it this is like fucking i love this movie right now yeah so i i think that if if you have 30 minutes to just explore you know, what Wes Anderson can bring to the table, that third segment mm. will give you everything that you ever need to know and more.
1: Yeah, he uses uh, his his use of uh, models with real actors. So like Owen Wilson scenes when he's ex- he's exploring on Wii and he shows in the background, there's like a construction site. It's clearly a model, but right. he's <laughs> really there. And so I love that kind of stuff too. The dialogue in, in the Jeffrey Wright uh, segment is just so good. Uh, everything you're saying, like you said, that's not how normal people talk. But I mean, James Baldwin spoke
0: like that, so that's why it was. I, I love yeah, it. Yeah, it's like a, a man at a time. Is what I yeah. what I like to think about. Is Absolutely. This, is there's this there's this era, you know, like someone that grew up in like the like the '40s or something, and they're just able to be quick witted and use, uh, you know, quite an extensive vocabulary, and and you can keep up with it. It's all words that you know. You just don't. We in 2022, Two, don't speak that way. No, absolutely. I wish. Yeah. But, I mean, if we went back to 1960s France speaking English, we would probably <laughs> sound like some Yahoos too, but yeah. it was pretty great. Loved it.
1: We listened to our tip top albums. So. There you go. <laughs> okay. Well, finally, did this movie make your top five of Wes Anderson films? And if not, where does it rank?
0: I, th- I think it did. I-, I would probably put this at five. Um, to be honest with you, I would probably say uh French Dispatch, the Grand Budapest Hotel, the Darjeeling Limited, uh, Rushmore, and then Royal Tenenbaums. Are probably good list. My order. I like that. Yeah, that's really good. It's from, hard. To, it's hard to really go to wrong. One. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I would probably say for me, one is is uh, probably Grand Budapest. And then honestly, this one and then Moonrise Kingdom and then uh, Royal Tenenbaums. And then probably
0: uh, oh God. Rushmore.
1: Yeah. What am I saying? Rushmore. So.
0: This one's pretty good. Rushmore's
1: <laughs> Rushmore's really good. I, I love Jason Schwartzman. I loved his small cameo in this, but he was so funny. And yeah, he's like, I said I wanted a turkey, and he just traces his <laughs> <head>. like <laughs> he's the he's the artist. You're like, this is the artist. It's So stupid.
0: I know, and it shows like the drawings. It's I know so funny. It's I'm just like oh my it's god, it's so dumb. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, I think that this warrants a rewatch. There's a lot that you're gonna miss when you watch it, and not not because you know, it's, it's above you. It's just, there's so much happening on So much going on. That you're just not going to be able to see it all. And, and and maybe that's why it's in the smaller frame. It's just to not distract you from like, this is what you focus on. Everything in this box. <laughs> just watch yeah. this box. And uh, there's a, there's a lot happening. And fuck man, Adrian Brody's character. I just, I'm thinking about it right now. I think he's so funny. <laughs> I could use one more year. And he's like, No. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Like she says, the girl says it's ready. Yeah, it's been ready. (laughs) Use another year.
1: That's so good. Yeah, I agree. He's
0: like fresco. put it in the wall. (laughs) (laughs) It's even on the radiators. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. So I, I definitely enjoyed it. And then so I do think that the second story, it's really clever. And it might have just been above me. I, I don't know. Maybe I just wasn't able to digest it all completely but as i was watching it i'm just like i don't fucking get this at all and uh, I'll have to definitely have to revisit it. <laughs>
1: one of my favorite lines in the second story because it's it's definitely a farce on these these youth in revolt. Like we have life so hard and we're freedom fighters. And but there's there's good to be said of that too. Obviously, like they need to make the change. I mean, look at everything going on right now in the climate of the world. But it's just like excessive. Even their, the name of their resistance is this very long name that I can't remember. Right. Um, and that they meet up at this cafe all the time. Uh, but one of my favorite things is when Timothy Chalamet's uh, recalling what happened. He's like, it was ages ago. Like I could barely remember. It was six months ago. And <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's like, my sisters were were barely 12. And I was just like six months ago. But the concept <laughs> of time for I, I get I get caught saying that sometimes too. I'm like, man, it was so long ago. It was like a year, I think. And people are like, what a year? I'm like oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. And and I think and that's why Frances Francis McDormand's character is so great because she's this voice of reason in this yes. chaotic world. And it's so funny what's important and how you look at things. Like, literally just today, I was complaining about an ad, uh, like a Facebook ad, and how I didn't like how it performed. And I was looking at, uh, you know, uh, an ancillary... Uh, byproduct of of what this ad did and i was disappointed with something that was an ancillary thing as opposed <laughs> to what the that the, the goal was for yeah. this ad which which it achieved in spades it fucking blew it <laughs> out of the water and david had to just tell me like look justin you're fucking looking at this wrong like you should be happy that this happened this is just and i'm like yeah you're right <laughs> and like i mean even at, even at like you know 41 years of age i'm i'm 41 and a half I'm still looking at things with the wrong lens sometimes, and and it it takes a Francis McDormand to to point you in the right path. And you know, <laughs> these two kids are screaming at each other, screaming bloody murder, arguing about the same fucking thing, for that matter. And that's why she's like, you know, I have to say something yeah. because <laughs> she, she just it, it takes a, a wiser person to to kind of. Um, instill that that knowledge on people and it's yeah. right in their fucking face but you just don't see it and i was guilty of that today and i'm just like fuck i can't believe i didn't even notice that i was so concerned with one thing that i totally missed the point of it entirely and mm-hmm. I, I find that astounding i'm usually the fucking of voice of reason <laughs> and this time i was just i was my eyes were opened to something i thought that was pretty amazing I so, agree. Dave, you're good. You <laughs>
1: a half. You're supposed to take a half. Yeah, a half
0: of One of these things. A half. Uh, one of my favorite quotes from uh, the film
1: was from Robuck Wright, Jeffrey Wright's character. Uh, it says, "People may or may not be mildly threatened by your anger, your hatred, your pride, but love the wrong way, and you will find yourself in great jeopardy." And I thought that that was very poignant. And yeah, because he was gay, so they uh, they did not like.
0: Yeah, love Pretty the wrong up. way. Um, yeah. So
1: uh, just to end it real quick, I, I, the, I talked about the love letter films and I, I mean, examples of that for me are just movies where the director really, really hones in on things that they absolutely love. So you think of the Spielbergs who, who does movies just because he's like, hey, it's super eight. Him and J.J. And Abrams did that because it's like, dude, this is like when we were kids making movies and this is what we got into. This is why we started making films. So I think of movies like Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's kind of that love letter to the, the adventure serials from the, the 30s and the 40s. Um, Drive. That's kind of like a very good love letter to noir film, like seventies, eighties noir. Cabin in the Woods is obviously an homage to horror films and and, and a farce on horror films or a satire on horror films. Um, I wrote some down. Kingsman, Kingsman is a love letter to the James Bond films. I mean, would you agree with that?
0: I don't think I ever looked at it that way. But yeah, there's gadgetry and it's it's fun. They're sexy. Hot, uh, fucking crime fighters and agents, Eggy. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, I, yeah. I totally get that. Yeah.
1: And then I found a thread on Reddit about this too. They said Days of Thunder is kind of a love letter to old school NASCAR. Yeah. You think so? Except Just, when it
0: was made, it wasn't. Old I guess it school. wasn't old school necessarily. <laughs> so yeah, that's right.
1: But looking at it now, it is.
0: Yeah. But I mean, some of the events that are happening in that happen in Days of Thunder happen to real um race drivers car drivers yeah. in like the 80s so i mean yes I, I think that that is
1: that is true yeah i'm just a very big fan of of love letter films like la la land and you don't really like it but it's in, in its homage to old hollywood and musicals mm-hmm. and such and huge fan so Blah. Blah. Yeah, there you go <laughs> all right well final thoughts on letter grade for the french dispatch
0: yeah, um, I'm glad I saw it. I This one wasn't on my radar by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, I enjoy Wes Anderson movies. I, I, I like them a lot. I kind of forgot this movie was even a thing. Uh, we'll chalk that up to to pandemic woes. But um, yeah, glad I saw it. And and I I do think that I'm glad that I watched it at home as opposed to in a the theater. If I saw this in a the theater, I would have been like, what the <laughs> fuck is this movie? I don't get it. And uh, yeah, I was able to pause it and like... Um, take a break for a second. You know, It actually took me two hours to watch this movie. I had, I had a lot going on while it was playing. And so I do think that I missed a few things and I feel bad about that, but I'm glad that I was able to pause and come back to it and rewind a couple of times. And um, like the first time I watched, like when I watched it yesterday, I missed the whole part where Owen Wilson was, was, yeah you know reporting from the street and then it's, he rides his bike down the yeah it's so funny <laughs> <You> just <laughs> oh, hold on in mid-sentence he's like oh fuck <laughs> yeah because well, it cut to benicio noturo and with um you know in the room where he was drawing the lady mm-hmm. and i'm like wait what happened and so then i had to back it up and then i was like fuck i missed like four minutes of this movie <laughs> so then i had to rewatch part of it again and Eight, so 8.5 bodies are flushed out of the Anhui river or the blase right? river each year <laughs> It's yeah dumb. and it's been the same every year you despite the <laughs> population growth you know? i thought that was pretty funny oh yeah it's always it's always the same that was funny i dug That's... it uh very clever and uh if you like wes anderson then i do think you should give this one a go if if you are if you have seen royal Bombs or rushmore or grand Budapest hotel and you didn't enjoy either of those then i don't think you need to watch this one
1: totally what's your letter grade then
0: uh, for this movie, I give this movie an A, man. I, yeah. I enjoy the shit out of it. Uh, after after being so just baffled by what I was watching, it all <laughs> kind of came together and, and it came around to an A. I do think it's a big ask. Yes. Uh, if you are not aware of, of Wes Anderson and how his movies are told, you are usually in for a ride right from the get-go. Like I think he sets up everything pretty well, but this one was just kind of all over the place. And that makes sense, knowing that it is you know, a publication and they're going to be, if you've ever read the New Yorker and how just kind of, um, you know, it's interesting stories and and articles, you know, it's a collaboration effort. Uh, and I think that this movie speaks to that quite well and that it is a collaboration effort. And, and that, and maybe if you have even just fucking read a magazine on a plane, like, well, whatever that magazine that's on every, every airplane where you read an interesting article about some celebrity that might've won a poker tournament or something. And it's like, (laughs) what is this? Uh, it's kind of in that same vein to where it's just uh, it transports you into another world and one that you might not have ever thought that you were ever going to uh, visit at any point in time. And, uh, you know, you're lost for a little bit, but eventually you will find your way.
1: I absolutely agree. And uh, don't you growl at me. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah. It's like Don't you growl at me. <laughs> yeah, he was
0: great. Dude. I, I could see AJ and Brody in just about fucking anything man I, I love that guy so much
1: i don't get it of course you don't am i too old of course you are <laughs> why <laughs> yeah. is this good it isn't good wrong idea it isn't good. <laughs> that's no answer my point you see the girl in it no <laughs> trust me she's there
0: he's <laughs> <laughs> so good yeah
1: <laughs> and henry winkler the yeah, Fonz, so good. I agree. This is an A for me. Um, absolutely love this film. It is, uh, it, like I said, it's my number two Wes Anderson film. I just truly, truly have such an amazing time. The Grand Budapest is like number one though. I think just because everything I remember when I saw that and absolutely loved Ray, Ray Fines and um, yeah, super, super good. So cool. That's all I have, man. You have anything else? I don't. All right, check it out. It's on HBO Max for everybody who has HBO Max. Might be available in Canada, too, for all our neighbors to the north. Yeah. So, thank you for listening to the Don't Be Crazy podcast. Remember to follow us on Twitter at dbcrazypod, at edgyarmo, and at zackdale60, where you can share your thoughts with us, and we will discuss them on our show. You can even tell us what movie you think we should watch for our next episode. Please make sure it is streaming, because we are cheap bastards. You can even tell us what movie you think we should watch for... I just said that. I'm stupid. Make sure to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and please leave us a five-star review if you like us. If you don't, it's okay. You can leave us a whatever-star review you like. Additionally, we are also available on every other major podcast app in existence in the history of mankind. Please also be sure to check out the Geek Legacy podcast with David, Randy, and Justin. Just please don't be crazy. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much. (laughs) Don't you growl at me.
0: (laughs) Yeah.